All right, welcome back to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I am your host, Cody Kelly. We got a good one for you tonight. I have a special episode focusing on leadership. And since, like a lot of us, we come out of the church, we got to start there. I want to talk about leading without pastoring. This is something I'm passionate about because I feel like there's an asphyxiation and an addiction to becoming uh, a pastor, but I'm so excited about this. I have some amazing guests, some that are joining as we speak right now. Uh, but I want to first start with uh, Cuzzo Jared because he responded first. I want to read his bio uh, because, you know, he's just an amazing guy. 26 year old designer, educated from Chicago, Illinois. 2012, he received his BA in communications from Hampton University. Uh, he has launched, he is the CEO of his own clothing line, Tandy Apparel. It is a luxury streetwear. Uh, he's also the praise and worship leader at Freedom Temple Church of God in Christ. That's interesting, I've never been there. Uh, as well as an apartment head of the marketing and public relations team. And then I have with me another amazing leader in the body of Christ who is also uh, you know, not a senior pastor, but works diligently uh amber williams now amber williams uh has accepted christ as her savior at the age of eight years old she has since learned that as an elementary understanding of christ is only the beginning to leading a full spiritual life she is also the praise and worship leader at her church she is a wife and a mother of an adventurous toddler girl that is amazing and then i have with me the prophetess um uh elder bishop Terin fears who is one of the greatest preachers in the Great Lakes of, you know, the United States of America, just an amazing person. Uh, she can just preach y'all, but I asked her to be on here because a, I have so much respect for these individuals, so much respect for all of you. And I've seen these individuals work and work without arrogance. And that's really one of the <laughs> reasons why I asked them. I got some other ones coming uh, but I can see they're either on coaching time or some other stuff. So, first of all, thank you. Welcome to the show, guys. How's everybody doing? Hey, great, great. Good. Hey, Thanks Good. for having us. Oh, anytime, anytime, anytime you guys want to bless me in the name of Cash App, you can. Let's do it. So, first question. I'm pitching it to you, Jared. You know, Rick Temple just opened up. Just had its kind of comeback service indoors. We all look like a future, you know, rap video mask off. So what is the future of church? What's going on? Um, I see the future, the future of church, honestly. Um, I don't know. I can only speak for um, our church, um, but we have uh, just now opened up. And so I think on the 12th, we opened up. And so we now have two services where um, we have 50 people in each service and um, the it has it's been it's been an adjustment i think the first service everybody was just kind of like okay like what you know it's, it's much different you're, you're sitting everybody's separated um it's you skip a pew um if you are on a pew you sit at the opposite ends with someone so um it's a new normal that we are getting used to but i think that um now more than ever people are desiring church so um i think it's gonna i think church is still gonna you know thrive i just do believe it's going to be an adjustment period that i think most churches will probably go through um but, uh, amber what is the future of church yeah so i think that we've all um had time to contemplate it during this whole pandemic and with what's going on um i i know for sure that i feel like all of our mindsets have really changed um, I think we've accomplished a lot as a church at large. I mean, I don't think that any of us expected um, COVID to hit the way that it did. I know none of us expected it to hit the way that it did. Um, but I feel like the way, I feel like the church really rose to the occasion at large, I can say. Um, I know for us, it was a huge shift. We have a small congregation, probably about 50 to 60 people a Sunday um, in our services. And so we had to expand to now offer online services. And that's something that we hadn't, you know, done before. And so I think that it's going to be an adjustment um, going forward. But I think what I've seen with the church through this period is how resilient we are and um, that we will be able to adjust. And so I do think, as you said, Jared, like it's, 
it's going to be weird. I mean, I can't even imagine going to church and like not being able to hug somebody or like, you know, and then, you don't, you know, and you, you think about the health of your brothers and sisters in Christ and everyone there. But I do think that we will be able to adjust. And I do think that through this, God has strengthened the church and that we're going to see the church pushing forward in whatever setting that that we have to adjust to. Awesome. Turin, what is the future of church or should I specify what's the future of church? Oh, um, I think definitely everyone's mindset has shifted. I think leadership's mindset has shifted and I think the lay members mindset has shifted. Um, I think the leadership now will look more towards at the person. How can I serve each individual person that's coming into my building? And then I think in turn, um, the lay member of the worshiper that's coming in, they're coming in. I'm 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 happy to be here. I'm glad to be here. So now I'm more receptive to what's happening in the spirit. I'm more open. I'm ready to go. So I think everyone is coming uh, back with this sense of what what can I bring and not what is here for me to experience. Uh, what is here? What is being set up for me to experience? But what can I bring the worshiper? What can I bring to elevate my worship service? What can I? What can I bring to the service? And then the for the administration and the leadership. I think I, I think at one point we became such an event-driven church. Everything had to be an event. Everything had to have a flyer. Everything had to have a special guest. And it was more so like from a leadership standpoint, what's my next big idea? What's the next big thing I could put on? And then from a worshiper standpoint. What are they doing this week? Oh, who's coming? What is happening? But I think now everybody's coming with the mindset of, hey, what, what can I bring? How can I make, how can I serve you? How can I serve my God inside of this service, inside of this, this, this body that I'm a part of? So I think everybody's mindset is shifting from off of themselves and how we can more serve each other. Awesome. Awesome. Reverend Ladarius Bill, as Lewis is connecting and reconnecting, I see you just jumped into my feed. Um, you serve in many capacities. Uh, we spoke earlier. You've been on the show a few times, but more on the social action initiatives, social justice initiatives. What is the future of church? Can I still who? Are you going to give me my money? Tell me what's the future of church. Did you say, can I still who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, I, you know, when we consider the church emerging, uh, I think the future of the church remains locked in or has to remain locked in, first of all, first and foremost, what God wants. And from there, we began to emerge or consider the emergencies of the times and see what does it require for us to remain relevant and relatable. And for me, people like me, I'm more so on the traditional side of, of the thing. Um, but I just believe God's church will always remain relevant as long as we continue seeking his power. Uh, and yeah, I think that's as, as far as you can go with that one. Awesome. I want to start with you, Bill. Uh, you are a elder in the Church of God in Christ, right? So you're like, if you were at McDonald's, you'd be like an assistant manager i mean i'm just trying to i'm trying to put it in layman's terms you're on the fast track to pastoralship because you and me share this same heritage right we grew up in this thing we know how it works and then i'm gonna hit it to you Taran. i see you guys laughing but i'm gonna i'm gonna get i'm gonna dig in deep today do you need to become a senior pastor to be effective do you wake up and say man two more years and i'm gonna get promoted what is that like no, absolutely not. I mean, you can you got to work where you've been planted and abide in your own calling. Your calling may not be pastoral ministry. But whatever your gifts are, whatever wherever your gifts are aligned, that's where you're going to be the most effective. If you jump into pastoring and pastoring is not what is for you, then you're going to find yourself frustrated and exhausted and burned out because you're operating outside of your dimension. The only way to ensure efficacy is if you abide in your own calling and do what God has placed within your ability and capability. No wise man operates beyond his abilities and beyond his capability. So I think the best thing is to uh, begin to see God, uh, to define, to find out what you're passionate about. Uh, your passions 
often identify purpose. And you may be very interested in a certain area, but that might not be what you're called to. You got to keep in mind that it's calling that you Awesome. That was worth it. That was worth a, 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 a offering right there. Let me hit. Let me hit you a Turin, and then I'm gonna throw this question to Lewis. Uh, Turin, do you need to be a senior pastor to be effective? You ha- you come from the a family of preachers, like all of y'all can preach. But like, is there something that says, man, I gotta, I gotta either get my own thing, start my own thing. You know, is there? Do I need to be? the official senior pastor to be effective within the body of Christ? Of course not. Of course not. If, uh, if that were the case, if you needed to be the main person to be effective, then Jesus wouldn't have had disciples. You need to do it itself. He could have done it itself, but he chose individuals and anointed them to do a work. And um, they weren't the senior pastor, but they carried out the work. And as like Ladarius uh, was saying, in their, in their way. Uh, Peter was different from uh, John and John was different from Judas and Judas was different from Matthew. Everybody was different. Everybody had their um, their own unique personality or their own way that they carried out um, the instruction that Jesus had given. So, no, you do not have to be a senior pastor to be effective. You need to be obedient <laughs> and led of the Lord. <laughs> and I think those those are pretty, some of the major requirements be obedient to who is your senior pastor. And uh, and that and being and if you are led of the Lord, then you would be obedient. That's part of that. Um, so no, you don't have to be a senior pastor. You don't have to be. And yes, I come. My father is a, a pastor, a preacher. My mother is a missionary. My brother, my another brother that's a pastor. My other brother is a preacher, and I have brothers that preach and this and that. My uncle's a preacher. My you know, but that doesn't mean a thing. And they could have been all that, and I not been. I not been that, and I still would have. Before I began my own personal ministry, I was still leading and working in the church without anything else because that—that's you don't have to have a title per se to be effective or to reach people. Some people that I wonder if I think about some of the people that has some of the most major effect on my life, they didn't have a title per se. You know, there were the people that took time out with me or led, lived a life in front of me. And they might have not have had any kind of handle in front of their name, but brother sure. or sister. Sure, that makes sense. Lewis, I'm throwing it to you. You have made the transition uh, to the dark side. Uh, you left us mere preaching mortals. And now you are the founder of a church who I have attended a couple of your services uh, because I love you. <laughs> no, but for real, um, you are an amazing man, a God, and you have been authentic in this whole process. Did you feel in all candidacy that for you to be truly effective, you had to become a senior pastor? Lewis, you're on mute. You got to unmute yourself. Yeah, unmute, unmute yourself. Unmute yourself. All right, talk louder. Turn yourself up. Sorry. He's putting in his headphones. All right, how about now? Yeah, you got it. You got it. Okay, all right. Great, great, great. I was about to take your time and get to somebody else. You got it. <laughs> uh, first of all, let me say I love everybody on this broadcast. I'm with the Saints. Y'all, listen, all this oil on this broadcast I'm taking y'all messages, everything y'all say, and I'm reteaching it. All right, I'm not giving nobody no credit. I'm playing. Uh, no, seriously, uh, to answer your question, Cody, I'll be brutally honest with you. Um, launch and manifest. It wasn't. A, it it really wasn't about effectiveness as much as much as it was a burden. And um, because you can be effective right where you are, you know what I mean. I mean, you can be effective right where God has you. Uh, but senior leadership is really a burden, um, which is why we started planning manifest last year. We started pastoring last year privately, and then we went public this year. Uh, but even within myself, like I've, I've, I've felt the stretching, you know, not just preaching the gospel, but like walking people through chapters in their own life. Man, I didn't, I didn't realize the magnitude of leadership, you know, walking people through, I'm not telling anybody's business, but walking people through, you know, death of loved ones, you know what I mean? 
you know, walking people through divorce, walking people through sickness, and then COVID-19 happens. And, you know, now you got to check on everybody, you know, you got to be there for everybody. So I'll be brutally honest with you, you know, launching Manifest wasn't about being effective, but it was responding to a burden that I sensed uh, on my life uh, and for people and for the region that I kind of felt God kind of called and stood. that makes sense. Um, I'll say this, that if, if there's no burden for leadership or senior leadership, um, I truly believe people are setting themselves up for failure uh, because anything that exceeds the burden of the Lord for your life places you in a category called performance. And performance doesn't have the strength to push you beyond silence. COVID-19 has silenced the church, not necessarily silence as it relates to we're silent, but I mean, we're preaching to a camera now. <laughs> you know, we're sitting in a room where it's just a camera and, and, and you know, and so now we don't have the response of people, you know what I mean? So now you got to push beyond, you know, everything that's happening around the world. So uh, to answer your question, uh, no, it was really honestly a response or a response to a burden that I really felt and sensed in my heart. So makes sense. Amber and Jared, I'm going to start with you, Amber. You two both lead the praise and worship teams at your churches. Uh, praise and worship, uh, the music ministry is the most undervalued ministry uh, probably within a church. They have to be there for everything, for funerals, uh, bar mitzvahs, uh, uh, pastoral anniversaries. They got to sing, you know, if, if the pastor even thinks about doing something, they have to be there. And you two lead these type of organizations, these type of ministries within a ministry, really. What, explain to us the burden of that calling, the burden of being responsible for the atmosphere of praise. Let me start with you, Amber. Um. Yeah, so I think that's a good point. I think with uh, leading worship and with the atmosphere of praise, I think the burden, the first thing that I always realize is if my life is not in order, then it can affect other people's praise and worship, right? So like you don't really have an opportunity and I don't know if opportunity is the best word, but you, there's no such thing as like an off day. Like you can't, you can't lead praise and worship and like be off if that makes sense, because it doesn't just affect you, but it affects others. Um, but the thing that I've realized through it, though, and um, something that someone ministered to me um, during a praise and worship uh, service that we were having one time, um, and he was in the prophetic and he was just telling me, he's like, you know, God is telling me to tell you, don't look to the left or to the right. Keep your eyes on me as you worship me. Other people will be led to worship me as well. And so. I think that that guides me in that burden that alleviates that burden. Um, and I just think the practical standpoint, that a lot of people don't realize, like I have to plan my vacations and like my life. And like when I'm, I mean, a lot of my life is planned around church. And so um, that's a burden, but it's also something that I take into consideration and that I, I don't, it's not a burden that I'm not willing to take on, but it's just something that I don't think a lot of people realize that's just practically like your life, you know, you can't just like hop and go on a trip every other weekend when you lead praise and worship. It's just, it's not going to happen. So. Awesome. That makes sense. First lady Sabrina Evans of Freedom Temple. And I'm a pitch this to you, Jerry said, I agree. Uh, when Amber Williams was talking about, she has to, first of all, there's no such thing as an off day and she has to plan her life around the ministry. Jared, you are in charge of, of the grand old, grand old Freedom Temple. You are responsible for the atmosphere of 1459 West 74th Street every single day. It seems like we have something. Talk to me about that pressure. Um, it's so interesting because I was just having this, I've been having this conversation with people um, just for some encouragement purposes, but um, it's a lot of pressure. Um, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, like to the practical side, um, even planning rehearsals, um, trying to just make sure that uh, everyone can make a rehearsal, that everyone's available for rehearsal, that the musicians are available for rehearsal, that the songs are songs that uh, are um, suitable for the praise team, um, that they are going to be, um, you know, most songs 
I don't just come up with songs. A lot of you know people just come up with songs, but I I, I tend to pray about certain songs, uh, especially with our crowd. You know, um, it's a lot of great things we want to do. You know, but we still have an older uh, crowd, an older uh, traditional, and, and so it's not when you like uh, she was saying. It's not just you're not just leading praise and worship for you. You're you're setting the atmosphere for a service, um, and so you have to be mindful of uh, of that. Um, it's pressure on that in that aspect. It's pressure to. Um, I mean, like she was saying, I, I'm someone who likes to travel. I like to go out. I like to, you know, uh, and now, especially now, we have eight eight a.m. services. My Saturdays are shot. It's not. It's not a, sh- a Saturday. I mean, unless something happens, it's happening during the day. Um, but eight a.m. service, and then we, we're there for from eight a.m. and then we're sitting there for two hours until eleven thirty a.m. starts. So it, it's a it's a lot of commitment. And it, it, it takes commitment, um, but you have to be mindful of what you are committing to. It's not like you're committing to the church or to the pastor. You're committing. This is kingdom work. So it's it's deeper than just you know. What I'm saying that's that's the reassurance I get um, because it's times I want to just give up. It's times I just want to be like you know what I'd rather just work in one area of the church because I do work in the marketing and PR department. Um, right. But it's, it's certain times that I just feel that way. Um, but what I have to be uh, mindful of is that. You know, this is a call. Um, this is a call. So it, it, it's, it's kingdom work. It's not it's not for anything or anyone else but for him. So. Awesome. Duran, I'm going to hit you with a curveball question. I want to address this comment from our audience, and then I'm going to throw something that you did not see coming because I did not give it to you on purpose. David Taylor said, I've heard people come in services and play music. From these anointed musicians like Apostle Wembley, that sounds like R and B in worship. I got up from playing the drums. I couldn't be a part of that. Can you address this? Is there? Is there? I, I'm not in praise and worship. I can't sing. I'm gonna be honest. Jared and Luke basically allowed me to attend because I'm a just nice guy. So that's not my calling. I just need to stay in church, you know, to you know, cut down on my Drake listening uh, minutes. But. Is there a certain sound that is unholy? I'm sorry with that, Terrain, uh, on this question. Um, I, I'll address it like this. It is not, I believe, a sound. The sound as far as the, the thing about the gospel is that it is the words and the message. So the great thing about gospel music is that it could be the message, the good news can be told inside any genre of music that you choose. So you can have the gospel and you can have it sound like jazz. You can have gospel and it might sound country. You can Mm -hmm. have the gospel and it can be hip hop because it's the words, it's the gospel, it's the message. So when it says in terms of sound, maybe the genre of music that the word is inside of, I don't think that can be unholy. The sound that becomes unholy is the sound that comes from your spirit. If you're not right, which goes back to what uh, Sister Amber was saying, you can't have an off day inside your spirit. So because what it was when I, I uh, Ladarius and Lewis, they're the uh, theologians, so they can help me remember the, the, the names in this story. But there's a particular story in the Bible when it says, um, I forget who it was, but they burned incense and it says it came up as a strange smelling savor to God and not the burning the incense in that particular, and I'm not getting all that, but it wasn't what they were doing was wrong. It was the intent and the heart of the person that was doing it. So we right. came up not smelling good to God. So it's not the sound per se of um, if it's an R&B uh, track that you sing it to. Like me, I'm, I, like, uh, I, like, I play the acoustic guitar. So when I play and when I sing, it doesn't sound like traditional, whatever you might think gospel music sound like, because I'm playing acoustic guitar. So it might sound a little different from that. Or if you were somebody into hip hop, it's going to sound, it's going to be rap as you're going to rap the gospel. So that sound like that, I don't say it's a sound that's unholy. It right. might be the sound that reaches God's ears because it's coming out your spirit. That ain't right. Right, right. Let's take it up a notch. Trent, I'm going to start with you. Being a dab and so the sons of Aaron, right? The strange fire. Let's take it up. Uh, <laughs> so social justice uh, is here to stay. And we can't ignore the role of the church in it and the role of the church that has acted against it. Is the church at a point that is ready to apologize for its inactions or inadvertent implementation of systemic racism? 
really, Cody. <laughs> um, okay. I'm about to say we might need some more, uh, some more, a little more clarification on the question. Um, well, let me clarify that. Let me clarify that. Okay. You can't. There's a reason why your church is predominantly whatever it is. There's a reason why Freedom Temple is predominantly whatever it is. There's a reason why Amherst Church is predominantly wherever it is. Um, these reasons have always been noticed and gone left unheard or, or addressed, right? And when we look at the makeup of this organization, of, of the body, not specifically a denomination, why has the church been reluctant to really be, uh, or I would say probably post the 60s, really against systemic racism? There's a few issues against really systemic racism and not really focused on gender equality. Is the church ready for that conversation to address why predominantly all the leaders are males and why predominantly we don't really have fellowship with our brothers and sisters on the other side? Uh, let's start there. I hope that's specific enough. Yeah, that was a little more specific. Um, see, the questions like this, I feel because you know, you get that moniker, the church, and it's right. then it's supposed to go for every single religious body on earth. And it just does not. There are <laughs> exceptions to every rule and everyone's reasons for what they do are different. Um, I think um, to, to start, why, when we, when we talk about um, why our churches are predominantly one culture, predominantly one race, is more so demographic of where your church was settled in. And we know we grew out of it at one point there was segregation. So right. we weren't worshiping together. But even in those years, there were people that did worship together, even though it was not what was socially accepted at the time. Right. Um, so we come out of that and we try to move towards being more open. Um, my Church, although it's predominantly African American, we still have members who are not African American. Um, so I think as time goes on, we try to open up ourselves wider to be accept uh, to say to let other cultures know, hey, you're welcome to come here because it's all about the cross. Um, now the church as a whole, I don't think I think people would I just with a lot of with a lot of things just going on with you know the status quo. And that, I don't know if that's necessarily wrong or them ignoring it. They just having church or they just coming in and, they, you know, we're doing what we're doing. And it may be some things that we don't catch a hold to that may need, require our attention is that. Now, I know you talked about like gender, gender equality in the church. And again, is that we have to have a progression. So we have to start from where, you know, we started from and things have to progress. Um and over time, because go back to it, even in the Bible, the leadership of the church was male. So we have to progress on from that. We had some women who were prominent. We had some women who were in leadership, but the majority of them were male. So we have to progress on from that and then be sure that we start to make those inroads and those changes. And I know when it comes to Church of God in Christ, it's a really big conversation and it has been because, you know, women aren't ordained elders or women in all jurisdictions aren't um, aren't uh, able to be or called pastors. They're called overseers or different things like that. But it's all progression that needs to take take place. And you do have to be an advocate for that type of change. Um, I want it may be I don't know if like they owe everybody an apology, but we do owe each other the, the progression. It is time to move on in certain areas. And then people. And this, like I said, you talk about gender, you talk about racism and people worship. I don't necessarily think that is racism in all respects. I think people worship where they're comfortable and you have to be like that. Anyway, you could be in a church for everybody that looks like you and not be comfortable, you know? So I think, like I said, like I'm real hesitant about that. Why the church does what it does, because every situation, every congregation is is a little bit different. Um, but definitely, I would agree that there's some progression needs to take place in all respects. And we need to, as a church, these days, be more socially conscious. Think time, I think as ebbs and flows and things come and go. Now, in the, in the 60s, it was all about that, that push for change, that social justice, because it was so much in our face. And so let's say we get we fell back on our laurels. We got a little relaxed because racism wasn't 
although it was still there, maybe it wasn't, it wasn't as prominent or in your face. And now it's starting to be that way again. And now we're getting geared up for the fight again. And I think it's just a kind of ebb and flow in culture and the society and what we were seeing and where we might have gotten lax before because things were so under the rug. And now that rug's being pulled up. And now we're saying, hey, we got to get back in this fight the way we were initially. Right. Reverend Bill, we relate to the party. We did a podcast episode, uh, I want to say two months ago, uh, about the uh, lack of response, specifically from our denomination or the timeliness of it all, right? Does the church need to make an apology at some given point? Let's start there. I mean, my question would be apologize for what? What, what, has, what, what are we apologizing for? Uh, are we are you speaking about the racial divide that that is happening that has happened and that has been perpetuated for for so many years and to that i say absolutely not the black church didn't perpetuate the racial divide uh and a lot of our hope is found rooted in our traditions the black church was founded in slavery and it is the oldest institution that we have and it's the only institution that we can say was specifically for us and by us. And from the black church emerged the great leaders of the abolition uh, movement, Frederick Douglass, an ordained minister in the black church. Uh, the black ministers led the civil rights movement. Uh, Shuttlesworth, Dr. King, ordained right. ministers, Ralph Abernathy, ordained minister, even the, the giants that we've lost recently, uh, Courtney Vivian, Ordained right. minister, John Lewis, ordained minister, uh, uh, the, the, the father who's still with us, uh, Andrew, down in Atlanta. Andrew Young. Andrew, yeah, Andrew, yeah. Uh, ordained minister. This is our turf. This is our territory. We need to cover it. We need to protect it. We need to be proud of it. And we must never reduce or relegate ourselves to an apology for something we did advance. We didn't ask to be segregated. Uh, Malcolm X, we didn't land. And on Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Rock landed on us. And so for that reason, we owe nobody an apology for being who we are. And I will say this, uh, I think we should cherish our traditions. Can't nobody do church like the black church. I challenge you to watch Aretha Franklin's funeral and just see for almost eight hours the way we do things. I challenge you to go and watch Ralph, uh, Reverend uh, our shocking eulogy at George Floyd's funeral. Right. You, you just there's nothing like the spirituality of the black church and so no i don't think we should apologize for that now if the conversation is should we apologize for being absent or being silent in certain areas where we should have spoken up then that apology should be extended to our parishioners who we should have spoke up for in a more aggressive way uh but no we don't need to go out to the world and start making apologies for something we didn't do Awesome. Lewis. Lewis, you are uh yeah, unmute. Let's go. Lewis, you are <laughs> you are uh progressive to say the least. Uh you have served in predominantly white churches. Uh you have had a mixed congregation. Uh when it comes to the topic of diversity, you might be one of the leading younger people as far as fostering that type of environment. And then Amber, I'm gonna switch this to you because I see you chomping at the bit when it comes to gender equality. So, and then Jared, I got a curveball for you. I know we run out of time, but I'm gonna get you with these last two questions. Answer in, trust me, I haven't forgotten. Lewis, I wanna start there. Diversity and inclusion. Yeah. What does that mean for the church going forward? Uh, well, let me, let me first say this um, to free church leaders from this burden that social media has kind of added to them. Number one, if it's not in your community, it's not going to be in your church. And, and the likelihood of a, a, a different culture coming to some of our churches is slim to none only because they're not in our community. And so to my African-American leaders, the, the number one things that I teach to leaders is this, don't try and make multiculturalism your language or go-to because what happens is you, you drift further away from your authentic self. The only thing that's going to attract people to becoming greater people and growing in the relationship with Christ is authentic leaders. So if you got a church full of all Hispanic people, you're an African-American leader, you know, be your authentic self because that's who God sent you. 
Um, and so diversity, it's not necessarily about changing what we do uh, to reach more people. Um, and in my experience, and I'll just be brutally honest, uh, and I don't mind saying this, one of the things, one of the things that drove me away from the white church, from the white Pentecostal church, and I love them, I bless them, and I thank them for the opportunities to serve. One of the things that drove me away was I, I didn't feel a true concern for my community. Well, that's a little mean, but I, 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 you all get what I'm trying to say. I didn't feel Great. a true burden. <laughs> I didn't feel a true concern uh, for the issues that were plaguing people that looked like me. And so they were more concerned with the White House than they were people in my house. They, they were more concerned with what was going on at their state capitol than communities that were literally 15 minutes away from them. And when I would bring these issues up, uh, it caused a lot of confliction. And the reason why is because, and I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, sometimes the church cannot weep because it doesn't understand. And if you don't have an understanding of what's of who's next to you, you don't have the capacity to embrace their journey. They're not going to stand with us. I, I'm not, I guess I could go ahead and just say majority of them are not going to stand with us because they don't understand. They don't understand. But to those who are to those who do understand us as a people, I'm watching them partner with black churches. I'm watching them march with Black Lives Matter. I'm watching them show up to our worship churches and worship centers and all that good stuff. Um, so it has to be intentional. The last thing I'll say is this, Cody and everybody. Um, I had a I had a senior leader. He was a white pastor. And I'm not going to call his name, but leads a beautiful church. And we had a meeting and he asked me, what can I do to build relationships with inner city uh, African-American leaders? And he said, I want to send an offering. And I said, don't do that because black people already have the stigma um, that white leaders, you know, are trying to play Superman all the time. And, and trust me. You're not going to build a relationship like that. And so the leader said to me, what do I do? And here's what I told him. And it, this was a very, 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 uh, how do I say this, uh, uh, raw expression. Um, and it was radical. And he did it. And I told him, I said, I want you to create a team in your church. And I want you to call them the diversity team. Don't tell the church you've created to stay. I want you to meet people, connect with your young adults who really are passionate about social justice. And then I told him this, I said, and when you create this team, I want you to send them to inner city black churches and let them worship with black people. Let them connect with those congregations. Let them sit under a black pastor. Let them let them hear the, 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 the burden of a black leader. And this white Pentecostal pastor looked at me and with, with a straight face, he said, what if they don't come back? <laughs> and I said, I said, I said, it's not about them coming back. It's about you exposing them to the reality of people that don't look like you, which leads me to my last thing. that I want to say is this the greatest strength for the church right now. And this is thanks to social media. This is thanks to all of everything that's going on in our society. The greatest thing that can help the church right now is exposure. So we need to learn. I mean, honestly, we don't realize that we've built our own country clubs. We don't realize we built a country club within the church until someone points it out and say, hey, how come you're not connected to X, Y, Z? So exposure is how we're going to really build that diversity bridge and be intentional about it um, and really see us kind of really begin to embody uh, this diversity thing within our churches and ministry. So awesome. Uh, Amber, you and then I have the last question because I know you guys agreed to 30 minutes. I'm sorry. Went over time. That's what happens when the Church of God of Christ starts back up. We just take all your time. So uh, I want to I got a question and I really want to hit Jared. Tarant. I want to hit all of you because you all basically matriculate through this kind of system. Uh, let's start. I want to end this. So diversity and inclusion, specifically on gender equality. Uh, uh, we're both Pentecostal. Traditionally. The Pentecostal church has not advanced the roles of leadership when it comes to women. That doesn't mean it's been antagonistic against it, because in some instances, you know, like a state supervisor and other titles that aren't biblical, you know, they have they have been in leadership. But as a whole, the issue of pastoralship has never been fully embraced, even when it's recognized. What is the future of gender equality in the church, Amber? Oh, I didn't know that was the question. Um, so <laughs> for gender equality in the church, 
I think that as I, I think one thing that you can't deny, and that is something within the Kojic church, which is Pentecostal church, whatever, is the anointing, right? When God has called someone or when God has put his hand on someone to teach, to preach, to lead, to worship, whatever it is, I feel like that is the undeniable factor that elevates people. We're not elevated by people. We're really elevated by God and by his anointing. And I mean, I think that with that, as leaders become more obedient, I feel like this whole situation, um, again, with COVID has really humbled all of us. It's um, really taken away the elevation, I think, of people and us looking um, at leaders as being, you know, put in that position of being God or being the person that we follow versus following God. So I feel like as leaders begin to tune into, um, as the church at large begins to listen more to the voice of God, um, that who God has placed his hand on, I think that those will be the people that will be elevated within the church and that crosses gender, it crosses nationalities. Um, and so that, that would be my response to that. Awesome. Awesome. I got a doozy. This is the last question and then I'll give my sign off. I'm going to hit all of you because all of you uh, are part of this, really. It is no secret that when it comes to the family of faith, our families play a great role. We are all the son, cousin, nephew, grandson, granddaughter, niece of somebody. Is there family pressure to be involved in ministry. And I'll speak for myself, so I'll open the floodgates. I personally rejected it. I mean, there was, there was, but I just, you know, me being Cody, you know, I'm not gonna let, if I don't wanna do it, I'm just not gonna do it. That That's always been me, that's always gonna be me. You know, I, I don't dance unless I like the music and I'll scratch unless I itch. That's just kind of how I operate. So, but to say that family does not have influence would be ignorant. Jared, I'm starting with you. Can't you just be a pew member? <laughs> or is that Evan's last name, does it carry a certain weight with it? Um, I do believe that you can be a lay member. Um, it kind of goes back into who we're talking about, <clears throat> about, um, uh, about not just pastors being the, you know, uh, people, what do we, what, you know, we were talking about earlier. I think Taran mentioned it, um, but it's, it's avenues for everybody to work in ministry. So, I mean, my uncle Wet yes was a bishop. My brother's a pastor. I have no desire to be a pastor, but I don't also feel like I don't have a place in ministry. Um, in addition to that, I want to work in ministry not because of they have influence that I, I do believe, but my love for God I think outweighs that. Because um, I mean, I would do it if it was if I you know. If, whatever church I was belonging to, I will, you know, be dedicated with it, with some type of ministry. Um, I mean, that's just maybe part of who I am. Um, Cause I like to just get involved, but sure. I, I think it's, I think it's kind of I'm influenced by them, but I don't think that, 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 that outweighs, you know, my love for God, which is why I work in the ministry, not because of them or any name or like that. Anything like that. That's why, that's why I mess with you. Tarant. Is there pressure, your fears, is there pressure to be whatever, or can you just be authentically you? I can be authentically me. Of course, everyone's experience is their own, and I can say that there has never been any pressure from uh, my father or my mother for any of their children to specifically be any specific thing. Well, no, they wanted us to be saved. That right. was it. <laughs> they wanted us to be saved and they wanted what they instilled in us was a love for the church and a love for God's people. So they showed us by example, how to work in the church and working in the church isn't always the person that's out front. You know, I watched my mother uh, make choir uniforms. Well, when my 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 first church, my pat my um, Jerry's cousin, my uncle, <laughs> Pastor Melvin Evans, my father was his assistant pastor. So I we grew up, we part of the congregation. We're working. Uh, whatever needs to happen, church needs to be clean. We're cleaning it. 
uh, his pastor's anniversary. We need to raise money for this. We out in front of Jules selling poppies with my mom to raise money for whatever it was we were doing. It's the church picnic. We carrying, we loading up stuff. And we took, we took that spirit of working and fellowship and loving the church and doing whatever was necessary, whatever you found your hands to do. So when my father became a pastor, we transferred that same spirit. So we didn't come in and redeem and sit down like, oh, we run the show, y'all get my water. No, we kept working and we kept, and even to this day, we that's what we do. Um, so for that, this is, uh, we were taught to and encouraged to love ministry and love to work and do things for God's people. Now, when it came, and again, when it came specifically to being a minister of the gospel, no, there was no pressure. I had a father, a mother, and three brothers who went into personal ministry before I did. And never at any time did anybody ever look at me in my face and say, you better preach. I heard it from people, that more from people who were not related to me at all than I did from anyone inside my family. I could not go to church by some, somebody going, you know you next. I'm like, ah. No, because I just, you know, at the time, now when it happened, it happened. I wasn't running to it, but I wasn't running from it either. Um, it, that's okay. This is what is what's the world is gonna be. So okay, um, but no, there was no there was no pressure. I'm not, and I know there are individuals who have the experience. They will say that they did feel that type of pressure, you know, and that happens in some families uh, that people get pressed like that. You have to be this. You have to be that. You have this name. You have to do the. And they and some people go into it, and some people run from it because it's just too much. But I thank God that I was not raised in that atmosphere. Where we were, all they wanted us to do, as I said, was be safe. And inside of that, wherever God called you to be, they supported that. Awesome. Reverend Bill, uh, I personally, uh, as stated, I didn't have what I would call internal pressure. I had external pressure uh, from a lot of folks who are no longer on this side of heaven. Uh, So, you know, but it did influence me. And initially it made me want nothing to really to do with it. Uh, I won't go into full details because I don't know who's watching and I don't want any smoke uh, right now because Papa not alive and I don't feel like, you know, apologizing for none. So, <laughs> um, but David Taylor uh, wrote, I'm an adopted child and my foster mom was strong in the church. They kept telling me that I should be following her in her footsteps. I felt like I couldn't put on someone else's armor. That a different battle. I'm gonna start with you, Reverend Bill. You come from good stock, right? You heard that expression. Is there pressure is there pressure to continue that lineage? Is there pressure from internal, external sources that might have made some type of influence on your decision? Well, so I actually do not have anyone who has been in ministry um, ahead of me. Uh, when I was ordained, I, was, I became the only second person in my family's entire history. And my family has been in the Church of God in Christ more than 70 years but only myself and one of my cousins uh, had been ordained ministers in the church. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I've never felt that pressure because I don't come from a line of preachers. Right. However, I have people, close friends who do come from a line of preachers. I would say this uh, in an advisory capacity that whatever lineage you come from, I submit that you should be proud of it and embrace it. Uh, The Bible and world history is replete with examples of people who came from a strong pedigree. And I don't think that's something that people should have to shrink from. Uh, You know, if if there is a, a pastor's son who is capable and gifted and anointed, hey, you know, it might be, you know, I don't think that's something he should have to shrink from just because of his last name. I think the only I think where the problem comes in is where you have a qualified person there and and then you have an underqualified son or daughter and they get this position simply because of their last name when the qualifications are simply not there. And I'm speaking both naturally and even spiritually especially spiritually and even naturally. Uh, But now as far as the pressure is concerned, I think the model should be integration. And that is, if I'm the pastor of a church, I do expect and I do hope that my children would be active in the life of the church, not putting pressure, but that we do this as a family, integrating all things. 
I mean, working in the church is the other side of going on a family vacation. That every Sunday we're going to this building and we're going to participate in the praise and worship. We're going to we're going to play the instruments. We might participate in the, the, the preach work, whatever. It's the same as it's the other side, but it's the equivalent to of me going, taking my family on vacation where one of us is going to play frisbee, the other's going to play in the waves, the other's going to ride, whatever the case. We're family. We're going to do all things together. Awesome. Awesome. Apostle Wembley, I had the pleasure of interviewing your brother on uh, one of my first uh, live stream podcasts. He explained to me, he said, you know, uh, about his development in the faith and his relationship with God. But he said it was hard for him because people wanted him to be you. That's a direct quote. And he's like, I couldn't be Lewis. I had to be Kevin. Is there? And I think it's fair because I know in my own life. Uh, there is pressure. I don't, you know, me personally, I, I, I got saved later and my, uh, commitment to church grew out of, of pain, not pressure. And I don't go into full detail what that meant, but, um, but there was this push and it wasn't coming from my grandfather. It was just coming from a lot of, a lot of religious individuals who, you know, saw my bald head and thought that somehow I should, you know, be in the same uh, vocation, but that was not me. I'm telling you, Lewis, is there pressure? My question to you, is there pressure uh, from sources to follow around along family footsteps? Um, to, to be brutally, brutally honest, you kind of answered what I was going to say earlier. Um, I personally never felt the pressure from my family. They never pressured us. They never, in my opinion, um, from my experiences, they didn't pressure, you know, me. They didn't pressure. They didn't pressure. My, my grandfather was never the type of person. I mean, y'all know him. He laid back, chill, you know. My grandfather was he, smooth, you know what I mean? Just just always been to himself. And so he never pressured me to do uh, ministry. He never pressured me to do anything. Um, but I, I cannot deny that there is pressure from those who are watching because, it's one thing to be at a restaurant and you're eating the food. It's another thing to be in the back cooking the food. And so sometimes the people that receive what we do on Sunday mornings, they create these worlds of the process that it takes. And they just automatically assume that if the father's a chef, then the daughter's a chef, then the sister's a chef, the dad, you know what I mean? And they actually write the narrative for you. <laughs> and your warfare or your struggle becomes when you begin to really become who God called you to be. And you might be called to arts and entertainment. You know, you might be called to the fashion industry. You might be called to, you know, the political world. And that pressure is really because you've been serving this community for so many years. Um, and now you're becoming something that they did not see. Does that make sense? And so to say that the pressure doesn't exist, um, I'm not going to say that it does exist. And I did feel pressure from others. But like you said, Cody, I didn't I didn't feel pressure from my family. Um, but I will I will brutally I will be brutally, brutally honest. And I don't mind saying this. Um, when I when I started seeing what the church was, the church world, I should say, um, was trying to kind of plant and plant in my mind. Um, I would have these conversations. I mean, I've had these conversations with you, Cody, years ago. You know what I mean? We we would have heart to heart. You know what I mean? And right. when I when I saw this uh, this push to do something and be something, you know, I really I really kind of resisted that to become a part of my narrative. Um, so for for me, I didn't feel that pressure. But I'm not going to sit here and say that's the same story like uh, Teran said earlier. Um, you know, that some families are, you know, some families, they put that in their children's head, you know, like, hey, if I did it, you got to do it, da 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 because, again, sometimes families look at ministry, you know, as, you know, as a business, and, and, and that's not always the case. You know, sometimes you do have a gifted son or daughter who can carry it, but then sometimes you got a daughter or son that, I mean, they, they, they're, they're the best beautician in the city, you know what I mean? So right. we, we gotta we I think I think the church world, specifically the black world, uh, the black church, uh, has to kind of put in our congregation's mind that we're individuals like just like you all. You know, we have our own identity just like you all have your identity. And I think if we would have those upfront conversations, that that pressure 
that comes from the village of church, I think it would decrease in a lot of PK lives, if that makes sense. So, no, that makes sense. Amber, is there pressure? Uh, is there pressure to continue? Uh, is there family? Is there internal, external pressure to follow along the same path? Yeah, so I think that um, a lot of you all have spoke um, some of my experiences, but I think the biggest thing for me, um, I wouldn't say pressure for my family. I think the biggest thing for, not I think, I know the biggest thing for my parents was just, my mom said her prayer was always that her children would love God and that they would serve God. And so whatever that looks like, if it was behind the pulpit, if it was behind the piano, whatever, if it was in the congregation, um, I could say that both of my parents, um, my being pastors, their, their intent for their children and their deepest hope for their children was that they would follow um, Christ. And so um, that being said, I have felt encouragement from them and push from them. I don't feel like it sometimes to utilize the gifts that God has given me and with my other siblings. And so that looked like obedience. So if you, if God's given you the gift, it's like, it goes along with biblical principles that we have to use the gifts that God has given us um, in obedience to him. And so, um, and I think for those that aren't pastor's kids, um, the question is, you know, can you be effective without being a senior pastor? I think it's very biblical to be effective without being a senior pastor. When we look at the word of God describing the church as the body of Christ and each of us having a part to play. Um, and I think about the scripture and one of you guys can give the reference, I, maybe in James, where he talks about not many of you should be teachers because you're going to be held to a higher standard. And so there's scriptures where like the Bible talks about the importance of the eye, of the ear, of all the body of Christ and how we all play a part in bring others to Christ and in being effective. So um, I, I don't, for those that aren't PKs or whatever, it's, it's about your heart to serve God and your heart to be obedient to God. And God will use whatever gift that he gives you um, as we are obedient to him. So I just want to encourage everyone with that as well. Awesome. I like that. All right. This is sign off. Jared, where can they connect with you? What are you doing? You're on mute, my man. You're on mute. <laughs> you can follow me. My uh, handle is right there I'm on Instagram. And that's Jared uh, with three Ds. Um, that's underscore Jared. Um, I'm here on Facebook. Just type in my name. Uh, you can follow my brand, Tiny Apparel, at www.tinyapparel.com. Um, or you can look up Tiny Apparel on Facebook as well. Awesome. Tarin, where can they connect with you? What are you doing? Singing praise and worship every day. No. Um, <laughs> um, they can connect me. I'm on Facebook, uh, Tarin Fierce. I'm on Facebook. I'm on IG. It's Miss Tarin81. Um, you can follow me. I like. I try to post. I'm me. On my social media, you know, I post this inspirational things. I post my scriptures. I post my jokes because I'm me. Uh, but um, Lord's willing, uh, some things coming up in the future. Uh, right now, just uh, helping out my part of the ministry. I do our Friday night Bible studies uh, every fr- a couple of every Fridays a month uh, for our Redeemed Mission Ministries live on Facebook Live. Um, and then Lord's or uh, will when we uh, get back roll, I'll be back out doing some more ministry assignments and. Um, Doing some other things that the Lord has laid on, laid on my heart, possibly. So, y'all probably, Jared, probably be getting some calls from me later in the year, brother of awesome. mine. <laughs> awesome, awesome. You see, I wasn't invited. That was cool, though. Oh, Lord. you too, whatever. <laughs> Lord, where can they connect with you? What are you doing? Um, just follow me on Instagram. My full name, my full name, Lewis Wembley, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, right now, I'm Build and manifest. Um, we'll get ready to launch um, in-person services, uh, and I'm pushing public, like promoting my book. Uh, wrote a book for uh, emerging leaders called Crossover. So, um, if you want to grow your leadership, hey, I got hey. it too. I got it. You shipped it to uh, the wrong address, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to grow your leadership, uh, I encourage you to buy that book. Um, but other than that, just living life. Brand new baby, six months. Um, and uh, marriage going good. We'll be married seven years uh, next month. So, awesome, seven years. He's the one that get, he's he's making it. I love it. I love it. Amber, where can they connect with you? What are you doing? <laughs> um, what am I? I'm current, really I'm just chasing my toddler around all the time. Um, that pretty much fucks up all my time. But other than that, Facebook, um, my Instagram, just Amber Alert uh, Seven. So if you want to catch up with me there, that's what I'm doing. Awesome. Reverend Bill, 
I know you got a lot going on. What are we going to do this BLM protest? What are you doing? Where can they connect with you? Uh, you can definitely connect with me through Facebook. My name on Facebook is L. Jerome Bill. Instagram, Twitter, uh, at Ladarius Bill, uh, where I am uh, right now. I'm working uh, in my community. It's a community organizer with True Believers Community Connection. And uh, we're building some power around uh, pushing programming for young Black people, Black students, uh, and young Black uh, young adults uh, in over in the Inglewood community. So yeah, follow me and you'll see what I'm doing. Awesome. Look, I appreciate it. Thank you to all my guests. I know you guys, I kept you 30 minutes over. You already know how it is. I didn't mean to, but some of y'all along with it, but I appreciate it. I appreciate just everything. Uh, you guys have been amazing. Look, I'm put up the post-production link video, have all their Instagram, all their social media handles, connect with these individuals. These guys are leaders in the faith. They're actually doing something. These are ministries I believe in and I do not vouch for everybody. Look, until next time. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. You didn't act that.